Sangin Podcast would like to appreciate everyone who has listened and watched our episode. On behalf of the podcast, we would like to encourage every one of you to follow and subscribe to us using whichever medium you choose to listen to us. This increases our outreach and makes us bring bigger and better guests for amazing stories. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sangin Podcast today. We're joined by the amazing Ms. Hartikov Singer, who is a clinical researcher, currently based in the United States. Um, Ms. Hattie, you're welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Okay. Um, uh, you're the first clinical researcher I've had on my podcast, and I'm very that you're, you, you're on the podcast. But uh, first things first. Um, for someone who does not, how do you introduce yourself? Well, let me start by saying I'm glad to to be the first clinical researcher on your podcast, and I really hope that I'm also the first um, podcast of 2024 that you're hosting. Yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> oh, okay, nice, nice, nice. So, like you said, my name is Hattie Kopsinje. I work in the cl- clinical research space, and I've held several positions in this area for over ten years supporting multi-center clinical trials. I work at a company that is called the National Marrow Donor Program, and it's headquartered in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am from Uganda, and I've lived in the U.S. for most of my adult life. So if you want to know me, like my personal qualities, I like to think that I have a bit of an organizer personality, you know, kind of person likes fixing things, putting things in order, and I can get a little OCD with this sometimes, but disorganization or clutter totally stresses me out. Okay. In my in my spare time, I enjoy making puzzles. I enjoy playing board games like Scrabble, Mastermind, Clue. And recently I made an attempt to learn Go. It's a Chinese abstract board game. I can't say yeah. I know how to play it, but I at least I can say I made an attempt to learn how to play. <laughs> you should play it. You should play it. I've never played it, but it's a, it's a nice game. I was really, really fascinated um, through watching. It must have been like a Netflix channel. And they were talking about the um, championships. I think they're even like international championships for Go. And what that's what motivated me to purchase the board game. But I never really got around to thoroughly understanding how to play. Just to add a little to myself, I'm a wife to Dr. Ignatius Kadoma and a mother to three adult children. It's um, also something to highlight that uh, one of your children, Koe, was on this podcast and she highlighted about artificial intelligence. One of our most listened to episodes. Nice, nice. Great, great, great. Um, um, So, a clinical researcher. uh, What's a clinical researcher for someone? Layman language. What does a clinical researcher do? There are many, many roles in clinical research, but my particular role is in the project management space. Um, there's a project. I have a role in the project management space, and I also have a role in the program management space. But for the purpose of this interview, I'll just talk about the project management of clinical trials, which is what I do. I want to describe it in um way you said layman. Just think of an orchestra conductor of a large symphony. The role of a um, conductor is to keep time, uh, but the role is also to really understand the music so clearly in order to lead the orchestra to play in such a way that it produces a beautiful synchronized piece. 
So likewise, my role in clinical research is one who is responsible for gathering all the pieces necessary to create, to develop, to execute, and to close out a clinical trial while managing timelines and resources. So I can elaborate on this just a little bit. Mm. Um, the, the first stage of, um, of uh, the work that I do is protocol development. So I get to work with a physician scientist team um, to develop a protocol, that is to write it out, to write out the background, the rationale, objectives, methodology, data management, analysis, ethical considerations, et cetera, et cetera. And really, depending on the complexities of this study, this, can, this task can take close to a year, a year and a half. And actually, the last clinical trial that I was working on, we spent about two years just developing a protocol. So mm. during protocol development, I also work with statistical teams. We write up statistical design. They come up with the stopping rules. They come up with interim, interim analysis. Then I get to work with reg teams. Being in the U.S., our guiding um, light on regs is from the FDA. That's the Food and Drug Administration. So the reg team guides us on how uh, closely we're following um, the regulations. Then once we have a full developed protocol, I work with data management teams. We determine what electronic data capture systems we need to use. We develop the case report forms to make sure they're capturing all required data for statistical analysis. We work with logistical teams. I work with the teams for to manage shipping samples or shipping tissues from subjects to labs, and then how those results from those uh, study samples are going to be analyzed and reported. I also work with legal and contracts. I work with finance teams for budgets. I work with monitoring teams. It's really, really, really large. And once the study is ongoing, I get to prepare reports for data safety monitoring boards. I get to repair prepare reports for the FDA. I'm also involved in, in writing up progress reports for sponsors and institutional review boards, etc., etc. Then I get the owners of training the sites on, on, on the, the clinical sites on the protocol before they're activated. So it's just fascinating to me how all these pieces come together over several years to initiate, execute, maintain, report, and close out a trial. And it involves a lot of work, a lot of communication, a lot of collaboration, a lot of learning, and a lot of uh, truly understanding how teams work and how they work together to kind of like a symphony, I said, to produce a beautiful piece of music. Wow. Uh, what you've described is totally what I didn't expect when say clinical researcher, because we thought that maybe it's more main in the lab, eh? you know. It it could be, but the, the research that we do is is really not um not really lab based. It's application of, of what has been developed in the lab. I will give an example, for example, um, I work with transplant centers. The actual research is implementing um, an innovation or an intervention into subjects who come to a hospital. So it's not like bench work. I'm not into um, bench work of developing what the intervention is. I'm, I work with implementation of what the intervention is. So that's really the space that I exist in, but not so much bench lab work at all. But it is, um, some of the trials are quite interesting, JP. They are, they involve, um, we had one that ran for 20 years um, and it was a long-term follow-up study. Some of these can be really, really long. Some can be short. 
Um, one that I'm currently on, I've been on it for the last seven years. It's a, a CAR-T study, and I can talk about that a little bit later. So they are very long and very lengthy. They're not uh, quick turnaround kind of studies. Um, there are a lot of studies that are geared towards uh, providing some kind of intervention for heme malignancies. And by heme malignancies, I mean blood cancers. So it's really in the space of cellular therapy for uh, the treatment of blood cancers. So okay. they're very complex and, and very elaborate and very long, in short. Okay. Uh, so a question that will come to my mind is that, okay, what inspired you to go in this field? You know, this, I took a really roundabout path into clinical research. It was not a career that I set my eyes on or even had my radar on. Um, I don't know if you know this, I studied food science and technology in Tanzania. So I thought that I would end up working in the food industry. And I did have a brief stint working in quality control in one of the food factories in Uganda. Actually, it was um, Hotloff. I don't know if you're familiar with Hotloff. Yeah, yeah, I remember Hotloff, bakery. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So I was just there briefly, like for about two months. But um, just to, to piggyback a little bit, in the last year of my undergrad studies, we had to work on a capstone project, you know, the research project that students undertake mm. towards the end of their degree. Yeah. So yeah. At, the, at the end of that capstone, I scored really, really highly. And my advisor said to me, he said, you'll be a really good researcher. I really didn't think anything of it at the time. I just, you know, I just thought it was just a comment he made for everybody else. But fast forward several years, I had the opportunity to conduct a research study as part of my master's thesis here in um, US, which resulted in a manuscript publication in a peer-reviewed journal. So my professor always often mentioned, not always, but often mentioned that I would, if I had the opportunity to, to be one, I would be a good researcher. And what I mostly enjoyed was the research process which led me to seeking a career in clinical research when I completed school. So that really was my path. It was not something I knew to do when I started out. It's not something that I had my eyes on, but it's something that I stumbled into, really. And um, just, just to add on uh, to that, um, my, my late father, for inspiration, my late father, Dr. Mpire, was not only a physician, but he was a researcher himself in the field of microbiology. And one of his key contributions was developing recommendations for antibiotic use in Uganda in the face of antibiotic resistance. And this work was done with the Uganda National Academy of Sciences. So he, I want to say, um, he always took a keen interest in my work and that encouraged me greatly. Nice, 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 nice. It's, um, it's nice when you come from a, um, a household that is full of researchers. No, with time, you basically become a researcher. It's true, true, true. The apple doesn't fall too far from the trees. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, my next question would be: Okay, your your work is in clinical research, um, and with the growing health challenges we have found, um, how do you think it has helped with helping us mitigate issues like epidemics and cancer, like you earlier mentioned? Well, I'll first preface this by saying that my specific work has been around observational and prospective research in stem cell transplantation and other cellular therapies. And that is the niche of the company that I work for. Mm -hmm. However, I do have my ear to the ground on the role of clinical research in epidemics. For example, the development of antiretroviral therapy drugs, which are really now recommended for everybody with HIV AIDS. 
Um, and there is, I read not terribly long ago, a new trial of preventative H of a preventative HIV candidate that has been in, um, begun enrollment in the US and South Africa. The vaccine in this trial is, is kind of interesting. It's designed to instruct the immune system to produce certain types of cells that can recognize HIV and then, it, then signal an immune response to prevent the virus from establishing a chronic infection. So there are a couple of um, epidemics for which clinical research has been really key in, in uh, mitigating the global challenges um, for. Another that comes to mind is Ebola, the Ebola virus disease. And there are many ongoing investigational therapies for uh, this disease that are, are currently taking place in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and I believe in Guinea as well. One other trial, that one other disease that I want to talk about that is not an epidemic, but is, is referred to as an endemic disease, which is one that is consistently present, but limited to a particular region is malaria. You know, malaria is, is huge. It's, it's a huge problem in Africa. It affects millions and millions of people and i think mm -hmm. i read about yeah you know a child a day i think it's a child a day or a child a minute i can't quite remember dies from malaria every yeah, in in africa but there's been a lot of research in this in this space particularly in ghana in malawi yeah. and in kenya as well and there are vaccine trials that are happening in these countries and um, th these vaccine trials are really a result of 30 years of development of, of the vaccine. And I think it's the, vac the, the trials that are happening in, in our uh, neighbor neighboring country to mine, neighboring to, to Uganda, neighboring country, country of Kenya, um, is they're trying out the world's first malaria vaccine. So it's, it's just a huge, huge opportunity for us, um, our clinical trials to really mitigate the, the, the global challenges in order to make the world a much, much healthier place. And that's not to say that uh, diseases that I've spoken about are really like uh, epidemics, but you know, we also have, you know, cancer, hypertension, diabetes, uh, which are very common in the Western world, but they're now uh, coming up in noticeable numbers in Africa. And uh, part of the work that I do is really in the cancer space and not only just mm -hmm. cancer generally, in blood cancer space specifically. So there are a lot of trials that are happening in that, in that uh, space too, um, mostly around stem cell transplantation to really improve the remission and the outcomes of uh, patients with these diseases. Thanks, thanks. Um, someone here listening, let's say is from in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, would, would literally say, okay, the work you're doing is amazing. Um, clinical research isn't that, that mainstream. I know there is Uganda Virus Institute, mm -hmm. I remember. But it's not that mainstream, they say, across the continent. Um, do you think it will become mainstream soon? Well, I think there is a huge potential. I think the Africa holds a huge po potential and it will be mainstream eventually. There are many, many challenges and, and opportunities around this. You know, Africa is home to 17% of the global population. And I've read that it carries 25% of the global disease burden. I don't even know how that metrics was uh, calculated. And yet globally, 
um, Africa accounts for less than 3% of all the clinical trials in the world. And most of these trials are in Egypt, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, and just a spattering in Uganda. It's, it's really important. It's really important to have diversity in clinical research and for Africans to propose solutions to increase the amount of clinical research for diseases that affect us, that affect us. And I think that's really, really key. Um, and it's only by, as a general principle, it's uh, medical interventions should be tested in diverse populations. And it's only by conducting clinical studies in representative target populations can safety, eff efficacy um, of novel trials be accurately established. So it will become it will become mainstream, but it's it, it's taking its sweet time. It's taking its sweet time. There are a lot of challenges that affect how quickly this can be realized on the continent. And uh, um, but there is a plenty of hope. That's nice. That's nice. I would really love, like, let's say, like your research also is also back home, and you also, you know, recognized for your work also back home. Oh, that's <laughs> thanks, Jane. Thanks for your kindness. I mean, it, it would it would be wonderful. But you know, I think there are inroads. We we Africa is making many inroads. Um, and the research may I may come to work in you in Uganda, not necessarily work on uh, stem cell transplantation, but um, many other clinical trials, particularly the one that the ones that are around malaria, the ones that I would be very interested in. And you know what? Another one that I would be really interested in are trials that affect us, um, trials that are surrounding the sickle cell disease. Because the sickle cell disease really affects uh, uh, Black people. Um, and so anything that would be advantageous or that would provide some generalized knowledge to improve the health and the, and the quality of life of people that uh, uh, suffer from the sickle cell disease would be research that I would be very, very much involved in participating in. That's amazing. Uh, you, you, you earlier on highlighted on the challenges. So what are the challenges that clinical researcher faces on a normal day? I'll talk about the challenges that I face, particularly in my field, and then we might broaden them a little bit to the challenges that of clinical researchers in Africa, if that's uh, where you might yeah. want to lead to. Yeah. But one of the challenges that uh, we recently faced is patient recruitment and retention. You know, it's difficult in finding and enrolling eligible participants to a clinical trial. Sometimes it can be. Uh, one of the clinical trials that I worked on we was um, activated in 2020. And you do know that 2020 was the year that COVID was ramping up all over the world. So it was very difficult to get uh, uh, people to enroll in a, in a clinical trial. That would mean, for me, it was very difficult for um, the clinical sites to ha have people come in and into a hospital to enroll on clinical trial at the same time that COVID was really roaring. They, uh, many of the subjects felt they may go in healthy and come back sick. So that was a really big problem. Another problem that we face is dropout rates. You know, when you, you have a clinical trial, you, they're, they're powered to, their numbers are powered to have statistical significance. And if you have high dropout rates in the data, uh, of the subjects participating in the trial, that affects the real reliability of the data and uh, the results. Um, another thing that's a big th problem post-COVID that we've seen is um, limited 
personnel, uh, many of the research coordinators at the transplanting centers that we work with uh, have a high rate of turnaround. The personnel just turn around really quickly. So it's resources are very hard to, to come by in clinical trials. But the biggest one that we also face is regulatory compliance. As you can imagine, in a clinical trial, there are so many rules and regulations that govern doing a trial ethically and govern doing a trial in, in compliance to the regs of the, the specific country. So um, when I think about regulatory compliance, I even think about how difficult it is for clinical studies in my space in the U.S. to enroll participants from Canada. You know, you would imagine mm -hmm. that it would be something simple, but it isn't because Canada has completely different regs from the U.S. And shipping a blood sample from a patient in Canada across borders has huge regulatory, regulatory compliance components. So sometimes some of the here in the U.S., um, shy away from involving the Canadian uh, research, uh, transplanting um, institutions from participating in clinical trials because of the complexities of the of, uh, surrounding regs. Um, let's see, some protocols are extremely complex and they are very difficult, They're very, very difficult to, to follow. Um, uh, it, it, one example that comes to mind is a study that I was recently participating in as the project manager of. It's a dose escalation trial, which means you enroll subjects at a, at a particular dose level of an intervention, and then you see who is the sickest and who is not the sickest. So if you don't have too many sick people, you dose escalate you and enroll another set of subjects to a cohort and then uh, provide the intervention and then determine if people are super sick or not, then you escalate. So there are very many complex clinical trials and <laughs> that can sometimes be a, a challenge. So... There, those are, in, in short, uh, the challenges that I've faced. But um, when I do think of um, doing clinical trials in Africa as a whole, the one thing that comes pops to my mind immediately is truly the complexity in regulatory compliance or even, even defining, well, does Uganda have the same regs as Kenya? Should Africa have the same regs? Does Southern Africa have different regs from North? What, who is the governing body? You know, in the US, it's just the food, um, food and drug um, authority. But in, in, in Africa, I don't know what that is, what that body is. So there's still a lot of larger pieces, a lot of work in the larger spaces that needs to be done in order for clinical trials to uh, be properly conducted. But there is plenty and plenty, plenty, plenty of hope. And there are many trials that have begun and uh, are successful, uh, particularly in South Africa and in Egypt. Wow, amazing. Is cost also an issue? Cost is always an issue. Cost is always an issue. Um, uh, and, and creating, uh, managing a trial constantly under the burden of, of the resources. You know, many of the trials that we get to manage are multi-million dollar trials. And it's amazing how that funding can 
um, can actually run out and you have to go back to sponsors and funders to um, lobby for additional fundings in order to complete a study. Because what's the point of a study starting and not completing? But if you if you face so many headwinds in the uh, initial stages of the trial, you could certainly run out of funds uh, before one knows it. So it's it's a battle always. Uh, reason why I mentioned we I work very closely with our, our financing team for budgets and budget projections and estimates and oh amazing amazing um as we conclude um one of my questions would be um for someone who's listening to this and is inspired to become a clinical researcher um what advice would you give them um a career in, in clinical research can be rewarding but it requires a combination of education skills and practical experience so what advice would i give is to one to obtain a relevant background typically in any life science in medicine, pharmacy, nursing, or any related field, uh, science field. A bachelor's degree is usually the often the minimum requirement, but many positions now require a master's or even a doctoral degree. Um, uh, consider uh, specialized training. There are many uh, universities and professional organizations that offer, you, you know, like courses or certifications in, in clinical research. That would be a path that someone might uh, want to consider. And then there are internships, I think. Um, they may be paid or not paid, or they may they may be entry-level positions in clinical research settings. Any practical experience really in understanding the day-to-day -day activities of running a trial would be would be great. Um, networking. Networking is another thing. Um, attending conferences, workshops, seminars, anything related to clinical research, you know. Um, right now, there's a lot in the space of malaria. So if anyone um, back home in Uganda had an interest in, in uh, clinical research, uh, they, I'm sure there are lots and lots of resources that they could attend workshops and conferences, maybe at Mulago. May, um, I'm not, I don't know of any any other conferences that may be available in Uganda, but there probably are a lot of them in Kenya, in Ghana, and Malawi. And then stay on top of stuff, stay on top of the latest developments and um, latest advancements in clinical research, uh, read uh, uh, research articles. But while I've mentioned all this, you know, the soft skills are important, you know, developing strong communication and interpersonal skills. Um, like I mentioned, a lot of my work is communicating with many different teams at many different levels. So effective communication is crucial. Um, uh, I don't work with study participants, I, but I work with the teams that may work with the study participants. So uh, developing strong communication is, is key. Amazing, amazing. Okay, uh, my final question to you would be, uh, what makes you a proud Ugandan? Because I know mm. you've been there before. We talk about it most times. So what makes you a proud Ugandan? What makes me a proud Ugandan? I struggle with this because I can't really pinpoint exactly what makes me proudly Ugandan. It's kind of like... Just mention everything. You know, it's just this je ne sais quoi thing. It's just this unnameable, indescribable quality. It's, it's just... I don't know. It, it's just uh, Uganda is the most beautiful place I've lived in. I will say that. It's the mm. place of my birth. It's the place that I find the, my deepest satisfaction and my rest. So 
Um, I look forward to the opportunity to make a significant difference in the lives of Ugandans through my work. But what makes me proudly Ugandan is it's the it's the joy it's the the joy of seeing the positivity in everyday situations. I think that makes mm. me proudly Ugandan. A lot of the work that I do is is sometimes very difficult. It's it's very challenging and. Um, some some of the reports that we read that come from patients that have offered their, their, their themselves to be research subjects and just the what they have to go through with, with difficult difficult diseases it, it just maintaining optimism through that uh, is something that uh, I I think is quite Ugandan Ugandans tend to have a lot of optimism in the face of extremely stiff headwinds and uh, tend to look at the brighter picture most times than not. So if, if that's anything that I can say that makes me probably gun and maybe that would be it. Thank you, Miss Hattie, for giving us an insight on your work. Thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here.